We will read from two passages in Holy Scripture, beginning at Psalm 104. Here we will read the first 24 verses before turning to Proverbs 30. We'll read the section that we're looking at right now, Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 28. So let us hear from the Word of God, beginning at Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with the deep, as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys, unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound, that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and err before the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey, and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together, and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Now let's turn to Proverbs 30, and we will read verses 24 through 28, and our attention will be focused on verse 26 tonight. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet go they forth, all of them by bands. The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Verse 26 is the text, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make 
their houses in the rocks. How manifold are the works of God in wisdom. He has made them all. And the earth is full of his riches. That beautiful word of praise. Verse 24 of Psalm 104. It's one that we are considering as we look at a few Proverbs in chapter 30. We're looking at little creatures that God has made. And in wisdom he has fashioned them. And in them there are lessons in wisdom for us. In four things that are little upon the earth yet exceeding wise. We've seen how that is possible. God has made this creation like an elegant book. And every creature is a word that reveals something about him. And has something to teach us about our life in this world. Last time we started with the first of those four things which are little upon the earth. The tiny little ant. We saw the lessons in wisdom that God teaches us by the ant. How the ant makes wise provision for itself in due season. And how that exhorts us also to make wise provision while it is seasonable. Especially spiritually that we store up treasures in heaven. That we observe the times that now is the time To make provision for the winter months of spiritual scarcity that will come at the conclusion of the last days. We saw how the ant is a lesson in diligent labor and hard work. And how we are exhorted thereby to be diligent in spiritual things. We saw how the ant is a lesson in the wisdom of working together. God's people are a people, a covenant community who are to work and to live together For the causes of the covenant and kingdom. Now we come to the next of these little things that be exceeding wise. And the Lord continues to teach us wisdom. And the little creature that is before us now is called the coney or conies, plural. We'll note that there are some similarities between the coney and the ant in that they are both small creatures and weak creatures. But the lesson in wisdom that we receive from this creature has its own and distinct message and applications. And so it will be profitable to consider yet another little word in the elegant book of God's creation. The conies that are a feeble folk and yet they are exceeding wise for they make their houses in the rocks. Let's consider this text then under the theme like conies housed in the rocks. We're going to look at The feeble creature, first of all. Secondly, we will look at its wisdom, namely its house in the rocks. And then finally, the lesson in house building, which we receive by studying this little creature. We are back in the classroom. Classroom that we were in last week. The classroom of the beautiful outdoors. And now our inspired teacher, Agar has us turn our eyes from the ants that we had been studying, those ants scurrying about our feet on the ground, and he has us turn our eyes now to the mountainous hill country that surrounded Jerusalem in Agar's day. And as we look at the rocky hills, we spot the next little creature the text would have us consider. 
the conies. The ants scurrying about on their anthills are a creature well known to us. But of the four animals listed in Proverbs 30, it is the conies that are perhaps the least familiar to us. And so what are these creatures about which the text speaks? The word conies is maybe misleading to us. If you looked up that word coney, the first meaning is rabbit. In common English usage, that's what a coney is. It's a rabbit. But that's not the kind of animal described here in the text. If you looked a little deeper, you may have found the scientific name for this creature, a hyrax, also called a rock badger or a mountain mouse. It's a little rodent-like creature that was plentiful in the country on the west of the Dead Sea in the mountainous region around Jerusalem. To try to get a picture of it in our minds, you can think of something more familiar to us, perhaps something like a a woodchuck or a groundhog, that's kind of what this coney looked like. It was a small, brown, furry animal with rounded ears, short legs, a short tail, and a rather stout build. This animal is mentioned in Psalm 104, verse 18, which says something similar to our text, that the conies have their refuge in the rocks. And it's mentioned in two other places in Scripture, in Leviticus. Leviticus 11, verse 5, and Deuteronomy 14, verse 7. And there it is simply listed among other animals that were ceremonially ceremonially unclean for the Israelites. They were not allowed under the Old Testament law to eat the coney. But now, as with the tiny ant, our teacher, Eger, focuses our attention on a particular characteristic of this animal, which is part of the lesson we are to gain from it. The text tells us one important thing about the conies, that they are a feeble folk. The word folk there, same word that we encountered with regard to the ant, people. Folk is a people. They are a feeble people. And that word feeble, maybe that's unfamiliar to you children, but feeble simply means weak, not strong. And so we see a similarity here with the ant. The ant is a people not strong. And we could literally render our text, the conies are a people not mighty. The word that is used to describe the ant, is the Hebrew word that especially refers to brute strength, brawn. And that idea is here in our text as well, but there's an added element. The conies are a people not mighty. They don't have much physical strength. They're another little creature. But the added element in this Hebrew word is the idea of fewness. Being not mighty in number. That makes sense. You think of an army. An army is strong if its individual soldiers are strong, they're muscular, they have brute force. But another aspect of an army's strength is the number of its soldiers. The conies are weak in terms of their physical strength. They're small and they are also few. The conies don't live in colonies of thousands like the ants do. But the conies live in their little rock homes, in small family units. They're small and they're few. That's the idea of the text when it says they are a feeble 
folk. And what this is focusing our attention on then is the fact that the conies are a largely defenseless creature. They are feeble in the face of danger. And the world in which these conies live is a very dangerous place. Conies are rodents. They're near the bottom of the food chain. There are lots of things out there in the Judean countryside that would love to eat a coney. Not just the big predators, like the lions, but also the wolves, the jackals. And it's not just predators that roam the ground or slither on the ground like snakes, but there are predators above, the eagle and the hawk, that would love to swoop down and sink their talons into the furry flesh of a coney. There are predators everywhere. The coney is a small, weak, defenseless creature. It's defenseless also because it doesn't have anything with which to defend itself. The coney had no claws. As a rodent, it has larger incisor teeth in the front of its mouth, but those teeth aren't very strong. The coney mainly eats plants. Those teeth aren't going to do you any good fending off a wolf or a jackal or a hawk. They have no natural defense against bigger, stronger, and far more plentiful predators. Conies are a feeble folk. Why are the conies set before us? Because we are to learn wisdom from them, just like the ants. The inspired writer who saw these conies perhaps every day, if he lived in Jerusalem and would go into the outdoors, he would see them among the rocks outside of Jerusalem. He sets this common little creature before us so that in it, like the ant, we might see a reflection of ourselves as individual believers and as a congregation and as the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. You are a feeble person. I am a feeble person. We are a feeble folk. That's the first part of the spiritual lesson that this proverb is setting before us. Spiritually, we are like Conies. There are many dimensions to our feebleness, is there not? We're feeble in faith. So often feeble in faith. Think of the disciples, Jesus' disciples, his inner circle of followers throughout his life in ministry. How would you describe those men of faith? They were men of faith. So often their faith was feeble. Oh, ye of little faith. That expression oft was upon our Lord's lips. And that's us. We're a feeble folk. Feeble in faith. Our faith often falters. We are quick to doubt. Slow to trust. Easily frightened. Quickly dismayed. How often in the midst of adversity do we not have to cry? Sometimes with, through tears. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. We're feeble folk with feeble faith. We're feeble in terms of our spiritual strength and endurance. Hebrews 12, verse 12, is an exhortation to the Hebrews. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And that's an exhortation in the scripture because the church of all ages needs to hear that. That's us. 
That's us as believers. That's us as a congregation. Our hands so often hang down by the side. We have little spiritual strength and endurance. Our knees become feeble, shaky before the enemies that can be arrayed against us in this world. We are weak and feeble creatures. The proverb ought to be our confession. As spiritual conies, we are feeble folk. But now come to that second aspect of the word feeble. Feeble in the text doesn't just mean weak, but it means few. Weak in numbers. And that's us too, is it not? The church is feeble. Her present situation in the world, and this is true of the church throughout every age, is that she is not a people mighty in number. But few in number. Few in number compared to her enemies. Now, yes, it is true that the universal church, the church Catholic, which we confessed, is a church that is an innumerable throng of God's elect. A flock of sheep that is so great that man cannot count them. That is true. That's the church throughout the ages. But at any given juncture in human history, the church is small. In comparison to the world. She is a remnant. She is like a small group of conies. Living in a world teeming with predators that are bigger, stronger, and far more plentiful. That's the church's situation. That's our situation. That's us in the 21st century. In our present context. In our American culture. In the present ecclesiastical scene. The true church of Jesus Christ are few in comparison to the world and to all the false religions and even those that take upon themselves the name of church. And our fewness, our fewness of number means we don't have earthly power. We don't have earthly clout. What is the church's power from an earthly point of view compared to the political power that can be exercised by other groups and other organizations? Nothing. And that shouldn't bother us because that's not what the church is about. The church is not about gaining political power and influence. The church will never really have that so long as she is the true church. We're conies. A feeble, a feeble Folk in a hostile world full of enemies. At the head of those enemies is none other than our adversary, the devil, who as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And we are like conies before this roaring lion. What can we do to stand against him of ourselves or his formidable forces, his host of demons, the world that he marshals to his side? We are a feeble folk before them. We are a feeble folk. A feeble folk before the wolves that he sends into the midst of the church. Whether from the outside or those that he takes up from the inside. We're feeble. And part of our feebleness too is our own folly. We're sinful. And sin is foolishness. We so often run straight in to the jaws of the lion. The jaws of his temptations. We're feeble, defenseless in and of ourselves. Spiritually speaking, we're a clawless 
coney. We have no fangs, nothing with which to defend ourselves against that roaring lion. Church's confession, we're feeble folk. And yet, these conies, feeble folk that they are, survive and flourish in the mountainous countryside on the west bank of the Dead Sea and around Jerusalem and in that part of Judea. They survive and they thrive there, even though they are little upon the earth, an earth filled with bigger, stronger, and more numerous predators. How can that be? Well, the answer is, verse 24, applies to them too. The conies are exceeding wise. Now we come to that part of the text. What is the exceeding wisdom of these little feeble conies? The wisdom is this. Though they are a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The conies build their homes in the rocky hills. That's where you'll find them. You're not going to find them in the wide and open plains. You're not going to find them at the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. You're going to find them in the rocky hills, on the cliffs, in the clefts of the rocks. Psalm 104 verse 18 points that out to us. Here the psalmist David also observed the same thing about these creatures that he saw about his city. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. An interesting detail here is the Hebrew word for coney. The name of a coney in Hebrew is shaphan. And it's not exactly clear what that Hebrew word exactly means, but one good suggestion is that it means hider. That is, something that hides. And that very much fits with the biblical description of this creature. It is something that hides. It makes its house in the rocks. Conies find holes or crevices in the rocky hill country, or they find a safe place in the crevices on the side of a cliff, the clefts in the rocks, and there they make their home. They make their den. And without having to build it themselves, without having to exert tremendous energy to somehow put rocks on top of each other, they simply find for themselves in the rocks an impenetrable fortress with unbreakable stone walls around them. This is the wisdom of the conies. Remember from last week what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing truth and applying that truth to your life so as to achieve the best possible end. This is the wisdom of the conies. They make their houses in the rocks. So let's now look at that more specifically. And then unpack, or in so doing, unpack three specific elements of this wisdom of the conies. Let's notice in the first place this. The conies are exceeding wise in that they seek safety and refuge where it truly can be found. In the rocks. And that wisdom of the conies has this as its first part. 
the conies in their own way know themselves. They know they are a feeble folk. They don't live as though they are something that they are not. They recognize we're conies. We're feeble. Everything out there can kill us easily. And so the conies, knowing that they have bigger, stronger, and more numerous predators, they go to the one place where there is defense. They are defenseless of themselves. They can do nothing to get away and keep themselves or defend themselves from the vicious wolf or jackal or the swooping hawk from above. And so their wisdom is that they apply the truth of their own feebleness and they make their homes in a place that is strong. They apply that truth and they live according to that truth. They seek safety outside of themselves. They seek safety in the rocks. The rocks which in themselves are strong and mighty and unbreakable and unmovable. They seek safety in the rocks. The rocks which are everything that the coney is not. They seek safety in the rocks. The conies don't choose to live in the open plain where they can easily be grabbed by a predator, taken up in the talons of an eagle. They know where they will be safe. In the rocks where no fang, no claw, and no talon can reach them. That's how this feeble folk survives. The rocks supply the conies with everything they need to survive and to thrive in a world that is dangerous, and in fact so dangerous that they otherwise could not survive. That's the first thing. The wisdom of the conies is that they seek safety and refuge where it truly can be found, in the rocks. Secondly, the conies, let's notice, make their houses in the rocks. And that's striking. The rocks are their home. It's not just that the rocks are kind of like a bomb shelter. You have it in your backyard and it's just there in case of dire need, but you really never go into the thing. No, they make their homes in the rocks. This is where they choose to live. This is where they abide. This is their dwelling place. This is where they spend their time as conies in the rocks. Especially this. This is where the conies raise their young. In the rocks. This is where they bring up the young conies through their youth until they are grown up. In the rocks. It is in the rocks that the parent conies teach the little conies what it is to be a cony and how you live as a cony in the rocks. And they are wise in this. Notice too, the plurals. The text doesn't say a cony makes its house in the rocks, but the conies, plural, make their houses in the rocks. It's as if there is a congregation of conies that together settle down in the cliffs and in the rocks and make their homes together in proximity to one another and they dwell together. Conies, like ants, are communal creatures. Though they don't dwell in colonies of thousands, yet they do dwell in smaller family units. They're 
communal creatures, and together they make their house, houses in the rocks. Third and finally, the coney is wise in that it is watchful upon the rocks. This comes out more indirectly from the text when you know something about what conies do in the rocks. They stand watch. There are times when the conies have to come out of the rocks. You're not going to find a lot of food in the rocks. They have to go out and they have to forage and they have to feed. But something that the conies do, kind of like a meerkat or a prairie dog, is that they station sentries or watchmen, you might say, on the rocks at a place that has a high vantage point. And that watchman, that sentry, looks over the rest of the conies that go foraging and feeding. And that watchman will raise the alarm if it sees a predator lurking in the distance or a hawk on the horizon. And at the high-pitched alarm of that watchman coney, the rest will quickly retreat back into their dens in the, wa- in the rocks. The conies are watchful. They're on the lookout. They're vigilant. They don't just saunter out of the rock and go looking for their food heedless of what might be out there in the world. When they leave the rocks, they're always on guard. And so it is that we see the conies are little and yet exceeding wise. They are a feeble folk and yet they make their houses in the rocks. And in this way of wisdom, the feeble folk survive and they thrive in a world full of bigger stronger, and more numerous enemies. That's the wisdom of the conies. Now we come to the thrust of the proverb for us. The lesson in house building that the conies give us. We've seen what the conies are. We've seen how they're exceeding wise. And now the point of all of this is that God would have us to learn Wisdom. He would have us to learn this wisdom from the conies. They make their houses in the rocks. Let's apply that to us. Three main lessons in wisdom from the conies, and these three lessons mirror the three aspects of wisdom that we just saw in the conies. First, God calls us to be wise in this way. That his people, that his church, seek safety and salvation where it truly can be found. In the rocks. Where it truly can be found. There are lots of places men will look for safety and salvation, but there is no safety or salvation there. There is one place where it truly can be found. And the conies show us where. In the rocks. Let's enter into that. Wisdom begins for us where it began with the conies. The conies, in their own way, know themselves. We must know ourselves, and knowing ourselves, see our need for safety and salvation. We're spiritual conies. Do you believe that? Do we live accordingly? As an individual believer, 
You're a Coney. I'm a Coney. Your family is a family of Coney's. This congregation is a congregation of Coney's. Our denomination is a denomination of Coney's. The Church Universal is an assembly of Coney's. We are all a feeble, defenseless folk. Do we know that about ourselves? Does that knowledge inform and shape the way we live in this world? That's wisdom, remember. God's truth applied to my life for the best possible end. God's glory, and along with that, my own spiritual good. Like the Coney's, we have a multitude of spiritual enemies, bigger, stronger, and more numerous than we are. This is the lesson that must be underscored to us. Because we are such a feeble folk, we need safety in this world. We need salvation. We need to see that. The coney that thinks it's a lion and thus behaves like a lion is a fool heading for destruction. You can imagine the scene, and it's a silly scene. This coney tries to live like a lion. It leaves the rocks. It prowls about the plains, trying to roar with its squeaky voice. It bears its little incisors at its predators. And before long, this coney that thinks it's a lion ends up in the jaws of a real lion. That's the Christian who thinks he's something that he's not. That's the Christian who thinks something of his own strength and of his own power that he doesn't need the strength of God. That he doesn't need the word of God. That he doesn't need the communion of the saints. That's the Christian who forgets that he's a spiritual coney and thinks he can plunge out there into the midst of the world as if he can handle everything that he's going to meet out there. As if he can face that prowling and roaring lion with his clawless hands and his little incisors fend him off. Christian who's a spiritual coney, but tries to behave like a spiritual lion, will end up in the mouth of the roaring lion, the devil himself. That's the warning here. We're conies. We need to know ourselves. We need to know our need for safety. We can't keep ourselves safe. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot stand up to the powers of the devil, the powers of sin, the temptations of the world, and resist of our own strength, our own willpower. We are a feeble folk. Knowing these truths, let's apply them. We need safety in the rocks. For the conies, that's the one place where there is real safety. In the rocks. Nowhere else. And the same thing is true for us. There is one place of safety. There is one way of salvation from sin and from all of our enemies. There's only one. The rock. Now what does that mean for us? What is the rock that we spiritual conies must continually resort to in the face of our formidable enemies? The rock of safety is Jehovah himself, our God. 
The Bible so often uses the rock as a picture of God because it is so fitting. The characteristics of a rock are a picture to help us understand the characteristics of God. Think of our call to worship. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. That's God. One chapter of the Bible to look at sometime to see how God is described as a rock is Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 contains a song that Moses taught the children of Israel near the end of their wilderness journeys. And one of the themes of that song is that God is their rock. Israel going through the wilderness was like a little pack of conies going through a world hostile to them, filled with predators. And as Israel, that congregation of conies, was led through the wilderness, it was God alone who was their rock. Think about what you know of Exodus. You see how that's the case. They had no safety. They had no protection. Apart from their God. And so Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, familiar to us. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Verse 18 speaks about Israel's folly when they would rebel against God in the wilderness. wilderness. And it says this. They forgot the rock that begat them. Verse 31 contrasts Jehovah with the idol gods saying this. That their rock is not as our rock with a capital R. Our rock. Centuries later, Hannah would speak these words in joy. There is none as holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. There is no other safety, no other salvation but in him, our rock. David, how often was he like a coney being chased by predators? Saul, his own son Absalom. And so this idea of God as a rock of refuge is all throughout the Psalms. Just a few examples. Psalm 18 verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. Psalm 31, verse 2. Bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense. Psalm 61, verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We could go on and on. God is our rock. A rock that is stable, that is firm, that is strong, that cannot be broken with tooth, claw, or talon. A rock that cannot be moved. A rock that gives safety. A rock that gives strength. That's who God is. God who is the unchanging The eternal, the almighty, I am that I am. Stability, safety, salvation. All of those ideas are packed into this figure, the rock. That's who God is. As the psalmist, as Moses says, 
In those passages we briefly looked at, God is my rock, your rock, your rock, believer, to whom you may continually resort, who will never leave you or forsake you, who will never fail you because of his rock-like covenant faithfulness. He draws you to himself by his grace. He shelters you under his wings and upholds you with his rock-like arms of eternal strength. He is the rock and the very gates of hell and everything that issues forth from those gates can never prevail against us. Spiritual conies find safety Rock, Jehovah. Well, that raises a question. Yes, God is a rock, but how can He be a rock of safety? You and I are feeble conies by our own fault, sinners who deserve to be. Punished by the holy God, who is a consuming fire. God is not safe for sinners. How is it? How can it be that God is the rock of safety, the rock of salvation to us sinners, who in the words of Deuteronomy 32 verse 15, forsook God which made us and lightly esteemed the rock of our salvation. We're worthy of the lion's jaws. That's what our sin deserves. God is holy. He must maintain his justice. What we deserve is for God to fall upon us like that mighty rock and grind us to powder. How can God be the rock of safety? The answer of the gospel. The rock was cleft for you. The rock was cleft for you, believer, child of God. The rock of ages cleft for me. There is how the rock is a rock of safety. Christ, he is the rock that was cleft. And by the cleaving of that rock, God is justly become your rock of safety who delivers you from all of your enemies. Because the rock Christ was cleft. He has become for us the shelter that hides us from the storm of divine wrath. That consuming fire that otherwise should have devoured us. Christ, the rock, willingly was cleft upon the cross of Calvary. For your safety. Your eternal safety and salvation. Hide, hide in the clefts of that rock. The wounds of Christ which afford all manner of consolation. The clefts of the rock of ages are the hiding place, the house, the shelter, the habitation, the child of God. Through Jesus Christ, we have eternal safety and security. We run to Him. 
We run to Him and find our refuge in Him by faith. That Spirit kindled God-given faith. By faith we are united to Him, the rock of ages cleft for me. In being united to Him, we have everything. We have everything. Christ, the cleft rock, is all sufficient to provide for our needs. Safety, security, eternal salvation, and all of the blessings that that salvation entails. All that we need for body and soul. He is our living water. Now our minds go back to the history of Israel in the wilderness, right? To the rock that was cleft. And out from that cleft rock flowed the water that the people needed to survive in the waste-howling wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. From the clefts in the rock of ages flow to us all spiritual blessings. In the shelter of the rock, we have everything. We have true safety, true security. You can't find it anywhere else. But in him, Christ crucified. Beloved, take refuge in Christ by faith. That's the ultimate lesson of the conies. Flee to the rock cleft for you. He is your fortress. And in all of life, nothing can take you from that fortress. He is a covering for your sin. He is the rock that no fire can burn and no storm can ever move. In your battle with sin and temptation, trials and tribulation, nothing can rip you from the rock that was cleft for you. Say with Hannah, there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. That's the first and primary lesson that we gather from the wise little conies. But now we come to the second, which flows out of the first. The conies build their houses in the rocks. And thus God calls us, his people, his church, likewise to build our houses in the rocks. Our home. Perhaps you think of Jesus' words near the end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. That's the Christian life. It's to be applied individually. Our life, our whole life's pathway can be likened to building a house. And our whole life must be grounded upon the rock that is Christ. His word must be the foundation and that which gives strength to the structure of our life house. But now that applies to our Christian homes as well. Our families. We must be built upon the rock. We must build our homes in the rocks. We must live our family life in the rocks. That is, 
in connection with God, in connection with Jesus Christ, in connection with His Word, in the sphere of His covenant, in the midst of His church, in the rocks where Christ is, where His Word is, where His Spirit works, in the rocks. That's where our homes belong. Parents, that's where you raise your children. That's where you keep them. Young people, that's where you find your friends. That's where you find your future spouse. The one that you date in the rocks. In the rocks. Not out there. In the rocks. There's safety here. Christ is here. His word is here. That's not to say there's never problems or sins in the church. There is. And there's so many and sometimes so grievous because we spiritually cony, we spiritual conies are a feeble folk. But no matter how feeble we are, it doesn't take away from the strength of the rock. We must build our homes, our houses in the rocks. That teaches us to observe What we call, in our Reformed tradition, the antithesis. That line of spiritual separation between the church, God's people, and the world. We understand that that's a a spiritual separation. For the conies, it's a physical separation. They must not live in the plains, but must live in the rocks, or they will be eaten by the animals that live in the plains. There must be a physical separation between the conies and their predators. We are in the world. God has placed us here. God has called us to live in this world, in the midst of the people of this world. We are not to withdraw and seclude ourselves in our own little community or enclave. The antithesis is a line of spiritual separation. In the rocks. In the rocks. For us, we must be wise like the conies. The plains can be alluring. They were alluring to Lot. Pitched his tents, his tent towards Sodom, and before long he was in the middle of Sodom, and he was scarcely saved. There are spiritual conies who need to stick with the rocks, not rush out into the plains of this world, forgetting that we are conies, not leaving. The safety of Zion's walls. Not turning our backs upon the safety that is found among God's people. And rushing out into the world. Though it can seem so attractive at times. The rocks. This is where we belong. Spiritual separation. We must be vigilant. How much of the world do we let in our homes? all the screens and all kinds of other things. How much of an influence does the world have on us? Conies must not let the predators into the rocks. The rocks are our defense. So there's a call to wise carefulness. All the things of the world. Lesson for us as families and as a church. Stay in the rocks. Don't leave. An important application to the church as a whole. 
Let not the church think that safety and prosperity is going to be found by leaving the rocks and uniting with the world and adopting the world's thinking and the world's values. That's so much of the movement today. The world says you Christians are backward. You Christians are prehistoric in your thinking. And that's just mild. Increasingly, the rhetoric is this. You Christians are a danger to society. Your beliefs about gender, your beliefs about marriage, your beliefs about God, your beliefs about the Ten Commandments, and on and on we go. You're a danger to society. And the lie of the devil is, well, if we can make ourselves one with the world, go out of the rocks, then we can find safety by being accepted in the world. But the roaring lion is waiting there with his jaws wide open. Church's safety is only in the rocks, the rocks of God's truth, the rocks of the gospel, the rocks of an uncompromising stance upon the word of God that does not budge or give an inch to the spirit of the age. That's the wisdom of the conies. Safety in the rocks, in the rocks. But now third and finally, we remember that the conies are a watchful creature. And in that they are wise. Upon the rocks, they watch. And that instructs us too. As we're dwelling in the rocks, we must be watchful. Watchful over our own hearts and lives. Christian who isn't watchful, who rarely ponders his own footsteps or the thoughts of his heart is like a city with its Gates wide open. Easily the enemies rush in and take hold. Jesus' exhortation to us in these last days is watch and pray. Watch. Let us be watchful over our families. Watchful over our congregation. Watchful over our children. Knowing. Knowing them. Knowing what they're involved in. Knowing what they're interested in in the midst of this world. Because... The plains-dwelling predators want nothing more than the children of the church. Watchful over one another. That's part of the Christian life as we look out for one another. And we mustn't be ashamed of that. And we mustn't bristle when a brother or sister in Christ approaches us to talk about something that concerns them about our life or our confession or the way we're building our home. Of course, we must not be busybodies in other men's matters. But in the church... We're a community. We're God's people. We're a body. We watch over each other and care about each other. And we must welcome the watchfulness of one another. That's part of the protection God gives us in the rocks. Christians are watchful. Office bearers, watchmen on the walls of Zion. There's a wise exhortation for us to examine ourselves. That we not be negligent in this work. But that we watch With love for the congregation, God has put us in a place to be of use in the defense of God's precious people. Let us be faithful in that work. Faithful as we bring words to God's people in due season, instructing, comforting the congregation. Watch. And that brings us back to Christ too, who is our watchman ultimately. Who watches over us. 
He ascended on high and is seated at God's right hand for that purpose too, that he might watch over his church and by his sovereign power govern and direct all things for his church. We often fall, we often stumble, we are often unwatchful, and the enemy breaks through. The enemy attacks. The enemy even leads some of God's people captive for a time. But God is never taken by surprise. God is never caught off guard. Christ, our watchman, he never loses any of his sheep. Even those that go astray, they haven't been plucked from his hand. Our safety. Safety is real safety. Because it depends on Christ. He is the infallibly watchful Savior. He is our rock. Who watches over us. Who is our refuge. Who is also our good shepherd. Cares for us and keeps us with his rod and staff. And even pursues foolish sheep. Foolish conies. Brings them back. So may this wisdom of the conies direct us always to him. In whom we have safety. True safety. Like conies housed in the rocks. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this wisdom taught to us by small creatures. Bless it to our hearts. Strengthen us that we may take our refuge in the rock of Jesus Christ. Build our homes among the rocks in the church based upon Thy Word. Keep us from all the enemies who rail against us until the day that our Lord Jesus returns in glory to take us home forever. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen.